Section 4 We were in a tunnel of the senses. I saw nothing, heard nothing. My body floated on the sea of consciousness, slowly passing through the end of time. The memories of a lifetime condensed into moments. Only a gust of sea spray separated cradle from grave. The energy ripples were chaotic in the extreme, but also simple in the extreme. Each clearly transmitted a single message. I was dying. Just like it was dying. Discontinuities kept happening along the way, like a film cut into pieces and re-spliced at random. Sometimes we'd suddenly be back at some intersection that we'd passed long ago. Sometimes we'd be going backwards, and the textures and space that had become familiar would suddenly seem strange again. Sometimes we'd be accelerating forward like a game piece being picked up and swept past roads, slopes, or trenches, and tactile sensations would then become dense, concentrated, an unrelenting barrage. Were these signs that the world was about to collapse? What little remained of my consciousness suddenly understood. There was only one possible explanation for all of this. This journey was nothing but its memory being replayed, like how a drowning man sees his life flash before his eyes. The real it was still imprisoned in that gray metal box, tiny, fragile, and peaceful, like embers about to die out. I was an uninvited hitchhiker who forced my way aboard, bringing it nothing but confusion, even if the confusion only affected its memory. Was it really only affecting its memory? I could no longer distinguish between the heavy anxiety caused by the foreboding of the world's destruction and the oppressive fear of my rising intracranial pressure nearing the limit. I didn't believe it could tell them apart either. Or maybe what we felt was really the two sensations superimposed together. Without my presence, would it still relentlessly rush towards that high point close to the gods to pray, to repent, or to explore the truth of the end of this world? And what it knew of this timeline, a shallow earthquake was about to destroy its world, and it would be ejected out of the seafloor from the high point, where it would be caught by the human's robotic probe, unable to escape. And within this remembered timeline, it would carry my fading consciousness as a passenger, and together we headed towards destruction. My premonition, or perhaps its mood transmitted to me, told me that it would die along with the homeland it remembered, never to return. This was its last farewell ceremony, a journey through reminiscence. I was both witness and sacrifice. It expressed its deep regret. I have no other choice. I supplied it with a line of dialogue that was also my soliloquy. I understand. Fate abandoned us to an incomprehensible state, and the only response that we could give was a pose, a ceremony where we would accept defeat with dignity, bow, and then depart from the stage. I felt as if I have neglected something important, but no matter how much I tried, I could not remember. Consciousness, like vitality, became faint and scattered in the shocks caused by the contraction of the world, like a breeze passing over water, but leaving no ripple. At last, we reached the high point. The body was still, but the world twirled as though mad. All sense of direction had disappeared, and consciousness blurred, unable to concentrate. 
I guessed this was because the magnetic field at the high point was being disrupted and weakening. At first the spin was horizontal, but then it turned vertical and finally directionless. Chaotic gyration like the Sufi whirling dervishes. The dancer's right hand was turned up to the sky, receptive to God. The left hand was turned down to the earth, encompassing humanity. And the moment when the ceaseless twirling blurred the dancer's consciousness was also when the dancer was closest to God. There was no I, no it, no boundary between the body and the world. Wildfires burned, flocks of birds spread their wings and took off. Great whales leapt out of the sea, fell back, tossed up sprays and vortexes. Snowflakes fell against the skin and gradually melted. I had no eyes, no ears, no nose, no mouth, but it all felt so utterly real. I was inside the shell, beneath the sea, amidst the baptism of lead and fire, about to be shattered. I inflated, spilling out of the shell, out of the sea, beyond the sky and even through the gaps between everything. I was everything. In this grand storm, a tiny thread gently, gently pulled away from my consciousness. It seemed to linger a moment, sad, raising tiny bumps that stuck to me and then releasing them, like a human handshake before it broke off. I knew that this was farewell forever. The shell broke, the whirling slowed down, the inflation stopped. Then came sudden, rapid, endless contraction, like a star collapsing, like a subway train going through a tunnel, like a sperm swimming into the womb, like a bathtub with a plug pulled out of the drain, as though everything had to be stuffed back into some tiny, fragile, peaceful vessel. The process was so long that even time lost its elasticity. And then I saw light. I still remember this morning. I opened my eyes and Lida was smiling at me. She helped me get up, get dressed, wash, and brush. I could walk, but clumsily. I could speak, also clumsily. The doctor told me that it would take time. Lida took me out, to the park, shopping. I pretended that everything was normal, that nothing surprised me, though my heart was filled with fear. Those iron beasts suddenly appearing around the corner and their piercing noises made my heart speed up. I wished more than anything to lie down where I was and never get up again. But Lida held on to my hand, not letting go for a moment, whether we were crossing the street, waiting for the light, or bargaining with the street vendors. We returned home together. I waited for her to cook, and we ate. Then she read the newspaper to me. For the most part, I couldn't understand what was happening in the world, but nodded as if I understood, and then trembling, I returned to bed for a nap. When I woke up, she was usually busy in the garden, watering, loosening the soil, weeding. The afternoon sun was copper yellow, bathing everything in a sepia tone like old photographs. I seemed to remember something, but then would immediately forget. Who are you? I shouted. Lida. She did not lift her head, but continued with whatever tasks she occupied her hands with. Who was that yesterday? Also Lida. The day before yesterday, the day after tomorrow, 
The day after that and every day after. Always Lida. I nodded and sat down. I always thought every day it was a different woman with a different name. My brain, like my knees, wasn't working so well. Lida. I knew a girl once with that name. I seemed to be speaking to her, but also to myself. But she didn't have as many wrinkles as you. She stopped, turned to me with a smile, which made her face appear even more wrinkled. Do you still remember what she looked like? She asked, the drop of perspiration at the tip of her nose glinting with golden light. I struggled to remember and shook my head. What happened to me? Lida put her hands together and stood up. You were in a coma for days after the operation. They all thought there was no hope for you. But then you woke up, holding this pose. She lifted her right hand, her thumb curled. The other four fingers were together. She lifted the hand over her head. What does that mean? You seem to be saying hello, and also goodbye. What do you think? I thought about it. I think it should be... Hello. She laughed. I think so, too. Hello, she waved vigorously. It seemed a bit silly. But out of politeness, I slowly raised my hand and waved in the copper-yellow sun. The light covered the back of my hand, very warm. Hello, Lida.